0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: On today's episode, I actually joined the Indy Cornrows podcast and Mark Schindler was nice enough to allow me to share a snippet of our conversation about tonight's game versus the Pacers. I get to share my thoughts on the Hornets, and he answers some of my questions on the Indiana Pacer team, who the Hornets are facing off tonight. That, plus some sound bites from Gordon Hayward, up next. Blue wire.
0: With the third pick in the 2020 NBA draft, the Charlotte Hornets select LaMelo Ball from Chino Hills, California. TJ.
1: Hi right, guys, welcome in to another buzz Beat. I know that uh, last night's game against the Nets was definitely not a promising one on national television on TNT, and I know that a lot of Hornets fans were frustrated with Chris Webber and Marv Albert calling James Borrego Jim, uh, but just as annoying was the Hornets' performance from the get-go. It wasn't close, um, and they were always in catch-up mode. Jeff Green went off had open three after open three. And the Nets did this all without Kevin Durant and James Harden, who got injured in the previous game against the Rockets. And the Nets made a comeback against the Rockets uh, in the previous game, and uh, they did not want to have another slow start. And they took it out on the Hornets. Hornets did not come out with any kind of energy. The offense was very stagnant early on, not getting into the paint It was just tough going. When you're not making shots early on, it puts you in a hole. And when you're not defending, it also puts you in a hole. But uh, Nets came out with a lot of energy and give them credit. Kyrie Irving obviously played very well. And there's still a team that up and down the roster has firepower in the offensive side. Bruce Brown, I think, is a very underrated player on this team. So even without those two players that were not suited up tonight, and, and Blake Griffin wasn't suited up tonight, this team is in first place like I said 34 wins 15 losses for a reason so on today's episode I'm going to bring you guys a little bit of everything I'm first going to highlight a couple of questions that were asked to Gordon Hayward in a media availability the other day and then to wrap up the episode there's a conversation between Mark Schindler and I of the Indie Corner Road podcast as we preview tonight's game and I think the Hornets would love to get a victory tonight and, and erase that bad taste out of their mouth. So let's jump into this. I do want to share some clips from Gordon Hayward and his media availability the other day. The first question he's responding to is about what's impressed him the most about the Hornets' play considering they haven't been able to play with LaMelo Ball?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, we're playing hard. I think we're competing for sure when we're out there on the court. Um, You know, I think we're executing our game plans. I think that's the most important thing is trying to execute, you know, what the coaches want us to do. Um, Certainly we miss LaMelo. Um, You know, he's a huge part of what we do and will continue to be a huge part of what we do when we get him back. But You know, we got to go out there and just, uh, like I said, try to execute the game plans and, and play hard.
1: And the last question we will get to is Gordon Hayward responding to a question about some of the younger players, obviously not having playoff experience and how they get caught up to speed and how he, as a leader who has experienced playoff basketball before, is there a way that he can prepare the kids, prepare the young guys uh, for that experience as the Hornets, as of now, um, are in a good position to make the playoffs?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think teaching habits, um, you know, as far as um, when we're in practice, think you know, thinking about the little things, thinking about um, watching film, um, going over the clips that you had. I mean, all these things, um, you know, are... These are all things that you can really, really utilize to your advantage when you get into the playoffs because um, you're playing a, a seven-game series and all those little details matter even more um, because the other team's scouting you. They know what you want to do. They're trying to take it away. So you really have to, to be hyper-focused on the details. And so kind of just talking to players about that, showing through example too about being a professional with that stuff um, is all really important. Other than that, like I said, I mean, some 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 of it's you kind of just got to experience it. And um, but I think but I think communicating with the players, talking with with the guys about different things that I see um, is definitely helpful.
1: It's Richie again, this time to talk to you about hosting your own podcast with our distributor, Blue Wire Pods. And there's no better place to host than Blue Wire Hustle. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or if you want to host a podcast and you just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive a personal cover art. Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month, the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So if you're ready to do more than just listening to us, Talk about your favorite team, then make your voice heard and hustle. Acceptance into the program is limited. So get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box in this episode to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com
0: slash join. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: All right, lastly, let's get into the conversation and we're just going to pick it up. Midstream here as Mark is asking about Malik Monk,
3: somebody who has really been impressive this year, though, uh, kind of finally after you're waiting for it. I know a lot of stuff has been around him that is taken time for him to, to get to this point. But Malik Monk has just been awesome after like not even being in the rotation to start the year. He's been fantastic coming off the bench uh, over like the last month or so. I mean, I went from at the beginning of the year, I wasn't sure if they were going to even keep Malik Monk this year or try and re-sign him at the end of the year. I think I don't remember what his contract situation is at the end of the year. But regardless, I mean, my thoughts on Malik have have completely changed now that he's kind of found some consistency.
1: Yeah, I think the Hornets had an opportunity to extend him uh, this previous offseason, but that's obviously passed. So he will be a free Mm -hmm. agent this upcoming season or this upcoming offseason, I should say. Yeah, I've always been a fan of Malik Monk. I, I think that Borrego might have had a short leash on him, and it seems like he's always had a short leash since, since he's been in the uh, the NBA. It, it's one of those things where it's hard to kind of gain that confidence if if you make a turnover and you get pulled immediately. But when he does play consistent minutes, you can see the type of player that he is. And especially with LaMelo Ball out of the lineup, you're going to need more players like Devontae Graham and Malik Monk to be your your playmakers and I always say this when I go on opposing teams pod but I think most people view Monk coming out of Kentucky as this shooter which he was Mm -hmm. but I think a lot of people overlook the fact that he can actually play make and play out of the pick and roll he has really good vision passing and all that type of stuff that you would see out of a point guard the biggest thing with Monk has always been his ability to attack and be aggressive at the rim and he finishes very, very well around the rim within four feet. It's always been a strength of his. And it's it's not easy, uh, some of the finishes that he has as well, that they've been acrobatic finishes. And it, he just somehow calmly always makes these shots. It's impressive, to say the least, with the way that he is built at times. And I guess the biggest revelation this season has been his three-point shot. He has shot the ball very, very well from behind the arc. It's it's probably his best three-point shooting season uh, yet, and I think you would have to let it see how it plays out for a couple more seasons to see if you know, if this is a thing to stay because it has been a very up-and-down kind of career for him from behind the arc. But with LaMelo out, I've really enjoyed watching Monk. I hope that he gets more consistent minutes, and he's definitely in the top eight or nine in this rotation. Uh, so when, when things do shrink in the postseason, I would hope, even if LaMelo is back, that that M- Monk is in there as well. But I, I yeah, I've, I've definitely been impressed with him. I just don't know if he'll be back with this Hornets team next year because that's going to be a decision that the Hornets have to make between him and Devontae, I would think.
3: Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And I, I think one thing um, that I would ask off that as well, or I guess not off that, I mean, because I I've, I've felt similar, like I, I was kind of surprised a little bit that Devontae didn't get traded, um, just given, I mean, it's been awesome now with how things have worked out. But looking at Terry Rozier, it's kind of funny to me because I think a lot of people that I know uh, brought up the idea of like, oh, well, Terry should be – they should totally be trying to trade Terry, sell high on him. And I just – every time that I watch uh, watch Charlotte play, like I know Terry is not the guy who is, who is a driving force of an offense. Um, he's not going to be like the number one guy on a championship, championship team or anything like that. But in terms of like – I mean, he's the number one outlet on the team and it shows so often, like you talked about with him me clutch earlier. Like I think um, seeing him grow as a player and more importantly, just be put in a good context considering where, what he was doing in Boston compared to now, like, I mean, are, are, where are you at with whether or not Terry is like a long-term part of the future or not even long-term, but like next year in the year going on, because I think, it's just like I'm sure somebody could replace that role in time mm-hmm. but like overall
1: like what he's done has been immense for them. Um at least by by my eyes no, I thought he has been. You're right, you're right. I think when he initially signed the contract a lot of people were just like okay that's just too much money, you know, getting paid 18 yeah. million a year that's just it's just too much. There were some people that said, well maybe he can play himself into that contract and he can be a tradable asset down the road. <laughs> And now that he's playing so well, you're like, well, now we don't want to trade him. We 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 yeah. want to keep him for the next two years. So he signed on uh, this year and next year for about 18 million. So 18 million is 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 kind of a hard. I guess, I mean it's it's up there in terms of being a, a contract that's hard to trade. But I, I think that he probably has one of, if not the most value on this team when it comes to a trade value. I just don't know if the Hornets at this point in time would want to trade him in the offseason for whatever reason. And I, I am perfectly okay with with having the Hornets keep him next season. And if it expires, it expires. And they're not able to bring him back as an unrestricted free agent in 22-23. In that's fine. I think what he's providing for this team, like you said, has been so, so big, so big in, in terms of making clutch shots, timely shots, and he's made improvements every single year. So it'll be interesting to see what type of improvements he makes uh, next offseason heading into 21 22. So I think the Hornets view highly of him. The front office does. I don't think he is on their radar in terms of making him a trade chip. But it's funny how people's views have changed on Terry Rozier because it re- initially it was all about bad contract player that has not performed up to that type of number. And now they're like, Oh wow, this is, this is somebody that's a, that's a important force for this Hornets team. I do have a question for you about your Pacer team. And it's something that I've debated before. Who do you Hmm. think is more impactful for the Pacers? Is it Sabonis or is it Malcolm Brogdon?
3: Ooh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, so in terms of overall impact, I think I this is something I've gone back and forth on because um, I actually want to say I'm pretty sure div asked me this one time I did a podcast with div uh, I, I want to say most uh, oh. most frequent guest on must be I can't remember um, I know he's up there but uh, I think it's Malcolm uh, just because like number one he's guarding the best player on the other team most nights um, I think that's something that gets undersold a lot his defense has been a lot better this year mm-hmm. um, but also I mean he's driving the most offense. Uh, He's taking the toughest shots. He's doing a lot of stuff off the dribble and it's changed up a little bit since Karis has been back. Like um, he's getting the ball a little bit less, but I just think overall as important as Domas is to the team and the way it's structured and what they do. I think um, if you don't have Malcolm out there, you don't have your main driving force on the offense and your best three point shooter, your best I mean, I guess Doug is, but like Malcolm is the only guy who can get close to getting his own shot right now. Uh, considering Karras just isn't quite at that, he's not really back to that level yet. Um, and Domas, uh, that's been my biggest sticking point with him. Like, not that I think he's he's bad or anything. He's fantastic, he's a two-time <laughs> All Star and deserving. But like, he's not somebody who I think can reliably create his own shot yet. Um, like, he can do a lot of really nice things to get his own shot, but it's not consistent yet. And Malcolm can do it, so I think it. Overall, I would I would say Malcolm.
1: That's interesting because I've always thought that way, but I didn't know with me not having watched enough Pacers, I can't act like I've watched enough Pacer basketball to say that, but he's having a great season. um, Mm -hmm. And my opinion of Sabone is that he's also a great player, you know, good footwork, good up and unders in the post. Um, He can handle the ball obviously, but to your point, maybe he can't create his shot enough and, and Brogdon gets overlooked on the defensive side of the court to where, you know, that, that is something that is valued a little bit more, especially out on the perimeter, but yeah, he does a lot of the little things. Well, I almost wish Brogdon took more shots from behind the arc. Cause I've, I looked up some of the statistics. He just doesn't take enough. I would think, but he does shoot the ball well from out there.
3: Yeah. So that's something I'm really hopeful for um, because one of my favorite nuances that's, that's kind of taken place since Karras is back. Um, I think, Before Karis came back, so before the All-Star break, Malcolm had taken like 20 corner threes, in uh, whatever that was, like 33, 35 games. And now since then, he's taken, I think after last night, I think he's up 14 or 15. So in like a, a third of the games and just given how good of a shooter he is and the corners, an easier three point shot, like that's awesome for him. He's getting a lot more looks off ball. Um, his, his assist numbers are down because he's handling the ball less. So that makes sense. But like um, I agree, like I want to see him take like 10 threes a game. Like I, I think that'd be great for him. Uh Part of the issue is like he hasn't been as comfortable off the dribble lately, like he was uh, to start the year, and he's been better since uh, since getting the time off with All Star break because that's that's been part of the issue this year. Like he just has gassed out at, at times uh, because of how much he's asked to do. Um, I think the next step for him is really getting more of that off the dribble game working or just getting more. Uh, more open looks um, maybe getting to do a lot more uh, running off ball um, mm-hmm. and not having to do everything with the ball in his hands. And I'm hoping that as, as Karis's game comes back a little bit more, that'll be a, that'll be something that happens more frequently, but, but I agree. I mean, in Milwaukee, he was one of the probably 10, 10 or 15 best off ball players in the NBA, like somewhere up in there. Um, so I'd love to see him get more looks like that.
1: Is it one of those things where you think he doesn't have the athleticism to kind of create for himself? like so you want you would want to put him off ball so that he can have that space
3: yeah so he's uh it's interesting cuz he's like he's he's like the definition of a of a guy who's a combo guard like he's so stuck between being a 1 and a 2 that it like hurts me a little bit um like i think he really is a 2 at heart um but he's so good as a driver like just incredible at collapsing the defense but he can't finish at the rim for shit um, right. that's just the, to, to be uh, completely fair to him. Like, it's not like terrible, but I mean, 52% at the rim is not like, it's at the point where defenses are like, okay, you know, come at us. And, um, it's a lot better with Karis back. I mean, he shot like above 60% at the rim because he's getting a lot more looks off second side actions and not having to drive right into the teeth of defense. Um, So I think if he were able to finish like even 58 percent, something that's like not, you know, bottom 10 percent in the league at the rim, uh, I would feel a little bit differently about it. But just in terms of like he's not going to be able to draw fouls that way. He's not really a vertical athlete like he will. He's had a couple of like just random out of nowhere dunks like he had this one against Denver last year. Um, it doesn't even look like he's jumping cause he like comes so, so low <laughs> well off the ground, but like he's, he just doesn't quite have that, that, that leap and vertical ability. And it's kind of funny cause I've realized like, um, like you pick up on some of those things, the more you watch the game, like that's what makes guys who are really good rim finishers. Like it's hard to be a good rim finisher if you don't get off the ground. Like, right. um, so and I, I, I probably sounded way too critical of Brogdon there at the, the, the mentioning his rim finishing. But it's just like it's so painful to watch sometimes because he does a great job getting there. But it, it won't even be necessarily the contest. It's just he doesn't have the angle to finish it. Um, so I think ultimately, I, I think he just ends up being a really efficient player. Uh, second secondary creator is like the goal for him but kind of like a quasi like he can do stuff running bench units or um but i think ultimately it's going to be more karis uh karis running things
1: yeah well speaking of rim finishing i was surprised to see this but doug mcdermott can finish at the rim i I didn't know that was a part of his game he's someone that is viewed around the league as someone that shoots the ball so well and, and that's what he's known for but he also finishes the ball around the hoop as well at a good rate, and and there is volume as well. So it's not like he's just taking you know one shot a game at the hoop. He's he's definitely getting there, and I, and I think that combination could give the Hornets fits uh, in this game. And and I feel like that's I feel like he's played well against Charlotte this season. So what what have been your overall thoughts on Doug McDermott? I mean, not just the rim finishing, but just overall as a player.
3: Yeah, uh, all in all, it's it's interesting because he was having a really down year shooting from three. But since the all star break, he's kind of back up. Uh, I mean, he was shooting like thirty five percent from three, thirty six percent from three for like the first twenty five, thirty games. Um, and he's really found his rhythm again. Like he's just making the shots that we're missing a lot. Um and that rim finishing, like you're mentioning, is what's so different for him. Um, he used to do a lot of stuff in between, and he was never like a, a bad mid-range shooter or anything. But now he's just at the point where it's either he's taking the shot or if it's not open and he has a, has a lane to the rim, he's going. Um, and I would actually argue that he's been like probably the best at-rim finisher, even if, you know, Domas by percentage would have it. But like... Um, other than TJ Warren on the team, like the guy who's a wing that I'm most, you know, thrilled about getting to the rim is probably Doug McDermott. I mean, he's, he's really damn good at it. Um, got an awesome at just handling and getting there. And, uh, he's had some finishes this year. They're like, okay, all right, Doug, I see you. And, uh, I, I've been really, really positive of him. I think a lot of people get caught up with the defense too. He's not a good defender. Just to be completely honest. Like he doesn't have the athleticism or, um, the length to be a great defender. Um, or even a good defender, but he's really worked hard on his positioning. Um, He's actually pretty good at rotating as the low man and contesting at the rim, uh, even though he's not like a great vertical athlete or anything. Um, But he just competes his ass off on that. And and that, that matters for something. I still kind of wonder what he's, it's going to look like in the playoffs because he struggled in the playoffs last year and against Boston as well. Um, But in terms of what he does for the bench unit um, and getting things going from three, like he's, been the most consistent like just kind of safety valve for the team for for two years now and it's only improved this year as he's gotten more uh, ability in the drive game so um, yeah I'm I think what I'm most interested to see though is what happens in the offseason because he's an unrestricted free agent he was the only guy I really thought uh, had an opportunity to get traded other than Aaron holiday um, and uh, it became apparent, you know, as the day came that he wasn't going to get traded because they put him in media availability the day of. Uh, and I was like, okay, so he's not going. But uh, like, um, I, I just have no idea what kind of deal he's going to command in the summer because I think he's going to end up getting above the MLE. So I don't know yeah. how the Pacers are going to be able to re sign him. Um, like, any anything's possible, but it's going to be uh, guys who can shoot and and do other things too. Like, him adding the ability to finish at the rim is great for the Pacers now. Um, but I'm interested to see how much he gets in the offseason.
1: All right, guys, that does it for the snippet of the conversation. If you want to hear the full conversation, you can go over to Indy Cornrose. Uh, we get into a little bit more Hornets talk there. Uh, and I asked him one more question about the Pacers. But Hornets are looking to erase the the bad showing last night against the Nets and looking to get two games above five hundred again. And, again, trying to solidify that spot. In the fourth overall spot, I'm not sure if they'll end up there by the end of the season, but I'm feeling more and more confident that they're going to finish in the top six. So I don't know if that's going out on a limb by any means, but the East has been weird this year, especially in that five to nine range. And, and any team can make a run towards the end of the season, and the standings would change in a heartbeat. So thanks again for tuning in to another Buzz Beat. As always, we'd appreciate a rating and review on Apple Podcast. I would love to read another review uh, to open the podcast. Your kind words are always greatly appreciated, and we will see you guys next time.